What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. And he swings! Welcome back to The Call-Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. In today's episode, we have a really fun interview with Brewers hitting coordinator Bretton Del Chiaro. And I gotta say, this has to be one of my favorite conversations I've, I've had in some time because it's just a unique perspective that we haven't really been able to have on the show just yet. Of course, it's such an awesome privilege to be able to talk to so many different players and I'm excited to continue to do that throughout uh, this year and and throughout the season and they are able to provide so much insight but we have not really been able to talk to the people who work with the players and help develop the players and help them get to where you know they need to be to succeed at the big league level and and Brenton is a guy that you know has been there done that on on the player side played in the minor leagues for several seasons and and climbed his way all the way up to triple a and then eventually had to kind of do the climb all over again, but but as a coach, manager, and, and that side of it was really fascinating, you know, to hear from him and his journey there. But then we quickly pivoted to a lot of the individual Brewers prospects and his thoughts on on those players, specifically Jackson Chorio. Hearing him talk about Chorio was, was really special. Uh, and beyond that, just hearing him talk about a lot of the different Brewers prospects that are unique and, and extremely talented, one phrase that he talks about that they perpetuate through the Brewers organization is UBU. And it's funny because you can just tell by the way that a lot of these guys hit that the Brewers practice what they preach. They let these guys do their own thing. Think about the setups and swings that we see from a Joey Weimer, from an Eric Brown Jr., from a Tyler Black, from a Luke Adams, and just still trying to help those guys get to the same place and succeed, but not taking them away from who they are. It was so fascinating to hear Brenton get into that. And then also just those individual discussions we have on pretty much all of their most relevant and most talented hitting prospects, and then some underrated guys as well, and then plenty on hitting philosophy and ideas as well. I think it's very clear, and you'll see throughout this conversation, one that Brenton is a fantastic baseball mind and person, but also you can just tell how much he loves what he does and and how much pride he takes in not only the development of the players, but the the Brewers organization, an organization that is extremely talented, especially on the hitting side. Uh, As you see so many different prospects, we have you know, five top 100 prospects from that Brewers organization, several others that I think are knocking on the door of being able to you know, either crack that top 100 list or are very solid 50 to almost 55 future value grade prospects. So it's a strong system, partly because they identify talent. They aren't put off by some unique swings and setups and then the way that they're able to maximize some of, some of the players that maybe some teams and organizations would almost hurt by trying to undo what comes natural to them. So it was really fascinating to get that from Brenton. And without further delay, here's our conversation. 
And we have a really exciting and unique guest today. It's Brewers hitting coordinator and a big part of the player development side of what's a really talented organization, Brenton Del Chiaro. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on. I know you're incredibly busy doing amazing things right now uh, with this Brewers system, and I can't wait to talk to you about it. Yeah, I appreciate it. Glad to be here. And, and anytime I get the opportunity to talk about our, our department and organization, I'm going to hop on and, and talk. So I'm excited about it. So, of course, before we get into everything from, you know, people that have listened to the show for a while know, like Joey Weimer's come on in the past, mm -hmm. Al Freelich, and I, I've been one of the biggest fans of Joey Weimer and the way he goes about his business. Like, I'm excited to unpack all the different types of players and hitters and and philosophies that, you know, you work with on, on a day to day basis. But before we get there, I think it's important to discuss kind of what allowed you and and what got you to where you are now in terms of your abilities as you know a hitting coordinator and someone that can really you know help the growth of so many different players and and kind of learning that this might be something that you are one good at and two wanted to do uh playing professionally i'm sure it kind of goes one way or another with, with a lot of people i've seen where it's like you know you want to stay in it at all costs or some people are like you know what i've had enough of this I want to go try and do something else. What made you want to stay in baseball after being drafted? You played a handful of seasons in the minor leagues, made it all the way up to triple A and, and you were a catcher, if I'm not mistaken too, right? So you were grinding back there. Um, did you always know that you wanted to stay in baseball and you know, what made you realize that, Hey, I, I can also help players kind of get the most out of their abilities. Um, I, I think what wanted me, what piqued my interest about staying in professional baseball is that, you know, it's really all I knew how to do and what to do for the longest time. You know, uh, at the time, 99% of my adult life, I had spent either playing um, or working on my craft. And so um, whether that be high school, uh, junior college, college, you know, I, I just, that's all I knew how to do. So it just kind of seemed like a logical step. Um, I was a backup my whole career. Everybody I backed up played in the big leagues. Um, from Jeff Mathis to Mike Napoli to, to Bobby Wilson. And so I got to see some really good talent and, and keyword there being C, I observed quite a bit. Um, and, and as I got older, the, you know, you can start reading the writing on the wall that this really isn't probably going to happen from the player perspective, you know, getting to the big leagues. Um, I think that's why we all try to, you know, take a shot at it in professional baseball or just playing baseball in general. We all want to get to the big leagues. Um, when you start seeing that right in the wall, you start putting feelers out. And, and I started asking some of the coaches and the people that I trust whether or not uh, they thought I'd be a good fit, that I could do something like this. How do I start? Um, and and that, that, that's really right there is how it happened. Starting the conversation of, hey, I'm interested in this. Um, I was put in a unique situation at the end of my playing career in 2007 where um, I was asked to join the major league team um, a month into their season to be the bullpen catcher. Um, wow. There were some injuries up there to the staff. And that was kind of like, you know, as like I said earlier, you know, reading the writing on the wall, my career was coming to an end and an opportunity to get to the big leagues. Um, not in the capacity that I hoped for, but just in a different capacity and experience life as a staff member and as a bullpen catcher, um, which I immediately you know, accepted knowing that there really wasn't uh, an outside shot at me getting to the big leagues, either with the, with the Angels at the time or another organization. And so um, from there, I knew it was a one-year gig. And at the end of the season, I was asked if I had any interest in coaching and they had two positions available at the minor league level. And uh, I gladly accepted and, and, and rolled right into my coaching career that way. I don't think people realize how much there is that uh, encompasses the the bullpen catcher role, right? You're not just catching 
fastballs and warming guys up. You have a lot more that goes into it from a preparation standpoint to helping these pitchers and things like that. Can you just briefly touch on like what a bullpen catcher does? And like, again, it's a lot more than just catching physically. Like you, you, you have to do a lot more. It's different by org, but Mm -hmm. I'm sure you were doing a lot more than, than just catching. Yeah. It's it's evolved quite a bit since 2007, but you know, my day-to-day routine was prepping the batting practice balls and making sure that the cage balls and the batting practice balls were all in good shape or brand new for home field. Um, catch play. I, be, I became like the, the the catch play endurance coach, you know, with, with all the pitchers playing catch with them, throwing batting practice, uh, flat grounds during batting practice. If guys wanted a little touch and feel that way. And then obviously game responsibilities. So, you know, yeah, it, it was it was more involved than, than just catching bullpens, you know, in the fifth, sixth inning when reliever needed to get up. Yeah. Yeah. Which is which is awesome. And I think just the way you were able to do that, that gets you into an opportunity to be able to manage mm-hmm. at the minor league level. And at that point, you know, what did you kind of learn from player development? And I, I guess being on the other side of it, right, because you you did get to watch. You did have at least some sort of that idea, like you mentioned, where, you know, you are not always playing so you can witness the game from the dugout. So you, you had that experience, but when you got to the other side and, and got to the managing side, it, what was like the most eye opening or fascinating thing? Uh, I, at least just from a different vantage point, or, or did you kind of feel like it was more of the same for you? And, and maybe that's why it was a, a smoother, you know, I, I guess, acclimation. I think being a catcher, you're used to interacting with multiple different positions, you know, whether that be pitching, infield, outfield, uh, you're, you're used to interacting with coaches, you know, your extension of the coaches, right? So like, I felt like I had a grasp of relatability, communication, and, and building relationships with, you know, the players and the staff. Um, but it just, you know, it takes time and it takes reps, you know, it's, it's gaining that experience of working with different people, working with different personalities. Uh, that, that was the biggest thing is just understanding that, um, no matter what player we were given, whatever roster we were given, we, that's what we had to work with. And so, uh, building relationships and, and focusing on the relationships aspect of the game was, was probably the biggest learning point for me. Um, the biggest learning moment was how to make sure that I'm communicating concisely and, 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 and a simplified message to the staff members, but also the players. And, and then just making like touch points with the players on a daily basis, like just making sure that they feel valued and, and feel like they're an important part of the team. So how'd you go from, from manager to then hitting coordinator? And, and, and what was that process like in terms of being able to now focus on one particular thing and, you know, that's that's a more encompassing role. Again, I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about what that role now actively is like, because, of course, people could probably put it together and say, OK, yeah, you're coordinating you know, the hitting yeah. for the organization. But it's it's a very general uh, a general title that I know you do so many different things to help so many different players can kind of take us through what that role is like and, and how you ended up getting more involved on the hitting specific side. Yeah, so I, I actually was just a manager for two years. I spent, uh, you know, I worked nine previously with the Angels. And in those nine years, I spent seven as a hitting coach, two as a manager. Um, I managed at the complex level and then the low A at the time, which was low A was the Midwest League in Cedar Rapids, um, which is now high A. Um, I, I managed those levels. So I got that experience of building relationships. And then I was able to apply that more on the hitting side uh, where I was able to dive in and, and just be more targeted and specific with my focus, knowing that I wanted to be more of a hitting coach and, and not a manager, but I had to get that experience managing people. Um, 
I think early on in the interview process, when like I was becoming a coach, they asked, you know, you what your three and five year plan. And that was just always how quickly could I become a coordinator at the time? This is probably dating me a little bit, but at the time, coordinators were like the highest level you can get at in the minor league level. And so um, I knew I wanted to be a coordinator. That was a goal. And then like the five year plan, can I get, you know, a major league interview or a major league exposure? And so I set the goal for myself very early on in the process. And unfortunately, it took 14 years to get there. But, you know, I I was afforded the opportunity. And I, and I think that's the biggest thing is that the preparation for an opportunity you may never get is, is very crucial. And, and you have to be OK with that, especially in professional baseball, because there's only a handful of these jobs. And so I wanted to be as prepared as I, as much prepared as I possibly could for this opportunity that may never come about. I got an opportunity. Um, I was fortunate enough, you know, to get the opportunity and, and be given that. Um, and and now we're here, you know, doing a lot of really good things on, on the minor league side for the Brewers. Yeah, which is what I'm excited to get into because I mean, just there's so much talent. We talked about it you know, a couple of weeks ago when we went through the, the Brewers' top prospects. But even looking at just baseball's top 100 prospects, we got five of them in the Brewers' system. Four of them happen to be hitters, but I think several that are knocking on the door of. of I think being that kind of player and and have so much upside that I'm excited to discuss real quick before we get into that, the, the role that you serve now, like how much are you roving around to different levels? Like how much do you see all of these different players at different spots? And, and what is that like, you know, in terms of being able to, to go to all these different areas, see all these different players at different points of their development, but also you just never know what you're going to find at the lower levels too, which I'm excited to talk to you about. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I, my, my, my season is, is really just twofold. It's two parts. Uh, it's in season and it's off season. And everyone's like, well, yeah, no kidding. But you know, the in season for me is actually the easiest time. Um, you know, you talk about travel, we have six affiliates. We have, we have two complex levels, which is the Dominican and Arizona. And then we've got four full season affiliates. Um, I get to each affiliate three to four times a year. And then I, um, on top of that, I make three stops at our major league level in Milwaukee. And, and so uh, I think the biggest thing is, is you know, cohesiveness and, and streamlining the communication up and down the organization. That That's probably priority number one. Um, building that connectivity between the major league and the minor league level. And then just make sure that we're all on the same page. So that is quite a bit of travel. You know, it, it, I like to think that. I am at home for 10 days on the road for two weeks. Sometimes it doesn't work out that way. And I'm on the road a little bit longer. Um, but the, you know, the off season is where a lot of the, the busy work, the computer work, the planning, um, the initiative setting, the goal setting comes into play, uh, keeping track of the players. You know, we had to navigate something the first time this year, that dead period uh, where the players for six weeks, we weren't allowed to communicate with them. So that was a new experience for us. We had to make sure that once that period ended, we were up and running and, and connecting with the players again. So there, there's a lot of planning in place to make sure when we get to these specific dates that we're ready to go and hit the ground running. Um, so, you know, unfortunately, the offseason is not as off as many people think, um, but it, it's exciting because, you know, you're, you're planning for the future. You're, you're placing bets on player development and what we think we can excel in and just, you know, building a lot of work and putting a lot of time and effort into these initiatives um, to make sure that, you know, once we get implemented, that we're off and running. 
Well, you talk about an investment and bets and, and, you know, that's what the Brewers just did in, in extending Jackson Chorio to, you know, an $82 million deal. It's the most that we've ever seen for a player, you know, that is yet to debut. I can say, and I know that you're going to say the same thing times a million. So I'm excited to, to, to hear what you have to say about it, but I got a chance to catch him at the end of the year in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And I got to see him against Sandy Alcantara, which I know it wasn't Sandy at 100 percent, but he was still throwing 96 with with sync. And he turned that around 105 right into left field. But one of the other things that really stood out to me is he he rolled over on one of shortstop and he got to first base. I did it over and over again because I had the video of it, too. And then I went back and checked it mm-hmm. what to watch the game because I couldn't believe it. I, I had him at like a three eight or something ridiculous like that. So, I mean, all that to say, he's not only extremely talented, he not only can hit the ball really hard, he's not only very fast, but he's really polished for a 19 year old. Right. Like, yeah. have you ever seen a player like this at this age? I'm sure maybe you have, but like. It's got to be a short list. And I hate doing that to players. Like, I hate putting them up in this position where it's like, oh, we're comparing them to guys that are just, you know, almost these unattainable ceilings. But it's almost one of those things where it's like it feels like whatever Jackson Chorio wants is attainable. Yeah. So uh, I coached Mike Trout in Cedar Rapids. OK, well, <laughs> okay. That, that, that's a good and, answer. Uh, you know, like, it, but here's the thing. It's funny in, in preparation for this this uh, session today. Like there, there is comparisons and, and I hate it's, it's unfair to put those expectations mm-hmm. on Jackson, but there are so many comparisons that I see to Mike that Jackson is displaying on, on a regular basis. And um, I think the biggest thing that stands out is that he just makes it look easy and um, there's untapped damage power potential in there that we haven't seen yet. And, and you know, I think internally we're expecting it. Like we're really looking forward to that, but I think we all agree that it's in there. And, and, you know, you, you talk about the, the, you know, the, the at bat with Sandy Alcantara, I was in town for a game, a series against the angels affiliate and Ben Joyce is on the mound. And, and this is when it was kind of like, okay, he's starting to really tap into what he can do. Ben Joyce threw a 99 mile an hour fastball on the inner half. And I'm talking in off the plate on him, on Jackson. And Jackson took it out to right field for a home run. And, you know, I had to go back and look at the center field feed just to make sure, like, where was the location of the pitch? And that's what made it even more special was like he was able to take 99 miles an hour in off the black for a home run to right field. And actually, it was like more like right center field. And you just sit there and you're like, not many people can do that. And yeah, it's like he has the speed. He he has the sprint speed, the first step, the defense, you know, he got off to a little bit of a slower start, according to everybody in the industry. But there, there, there was two contributing factors there. One, they were in the Southern League, they were playing up with the souped up baseball. Oh. So. I you know I was pounding some funny numbers there fastballs that are getting 24 <laughs> inches of hurt, but um, yeah. yeah, it was driving me crazy. So that was right. definitely part of it. And then yeah. I, I I think the the other side is like he was. 19 in, yeah. in double A, right? What's a slow start? just been named number one prospect. Yeah. So it's like, it's like he puts all the pressure on him. And, and, and the other thing, like, you know, my second aha moment for him was that he realized after last year's performance, which, you know, when I'm saying last year, but two years ago now, his breakout year, he realized that he, he needed to make more contact, right? Like that was the big thing. I was like, oh, you don't make enough contact. You swing and miss a little too much. So he would early on, he was settling for just putting the ball in play. 
instead of like looking for pitches that he can drive in his areas of you know reachability. And so all of a sudden, when he just let the game start coming to him, that's when like in the second half, they got rid of the baseball. He took a breath, calmed down. All of a sudden, he just skyrocketed. And if you look at that first like two weeks after the All-Star break is when he just like really took off. Um, he's just he's just starting to figure out who he is. And, and it's really exciting. Like and to lock him up for, for eight years is um it's a, one, it's a smart move, <laughs> and two, yeah. it's great for it's great for our organization, and it's great for you know our big league roster. There was another swing I saw, you know, in the winter league. He, he turned around 103 from somebody, um, and it was like a tough pitch in that he just fought right back up the middle. And it's those things that be, the ability to get to to pitches and spots that you're just like you mm-hmm. got to have some freakish hands and and bat speed to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. My last question on, on Chorio is, where do you think? the additional power will come from in terms of tapping into that in games? Is it a swing decision thing? Because he has improved in terms of cutting the chase down, but you know, he's naturally a little bit of an aggressive hitter. And then also the ground ball rate being a little bit high. Do you think that's, is that because the chase is a little high or is that a slight mechanical thing that you think he can, you know, eventually just be able to, to, to create more loft? Well, we, we identified early into the season that, you know, the, the ground ball percentage was due to a fact that he just wasn't, wasn't getting to a good launch position. Mm-hmm. He was he was kind of rock and go or would rush through the process. And then again, just to make contact, like he was like, that's something I need to work on. So I'm going to work on it and I'm gonna put the ball in play. And so like there, there was some, you know, maturity. There was some learning moments and, and some growth on his behalf that it's like, we're not asking you to have an 80 percent contact rate. We're just asking you to stop chasing so much. So like, you know, he, he just misunderstood a little bit, but like, that's, you know, a true testament to who he is. And like, he thinks he should get a hit every at bat. He is upset if he doesn't get a hit every at bat. And that's, you know, he's ultimate competitor. He's trying to be the best player on the planet, not just the best version of himself. So like, you know, it, it, it's growth and maturity from, from a power potential. I, I think it's purely subjective here. It, it's just that grown man strength tapping into the body, maturing and developing a little bit more. Um, he has the bat speed. You know, the swing decisions are improving. Um, it, it's just going to be him getting physically stronger. And that's just, you know, natural ability getting developing, you know, and that grown man strength coming out eventually. Something I always talk about on on the show is, you know, swing decisions. When you see a higher chase rate, you see certain aspects like there's a lot of different things that can result in a higher chase rate, right? And and when you have a guy that you know might be a little bit longer to the ball, he's got to make decisions earlier. Maybe he tends to make the wrong decision more frequently. With Chorio, it's like that guy can't be any quicker to the ball from from his <laughs> slot to you know to contact. So yeah. for him, it seems like it's it's purely just an experience approach mm-hmm. and 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 plan and preparation side of things, right? That I feel like is probably. And I'm not saying it specifically with Jackson because he has to be very you know, meticulous with his preparation to, to be in AAA at 19 years old. But I'd imagine when you're trying to explain to uber talented hitters who are 18, 19, 20, the importance of preparation, it probably requires a little adversity here and there to, to really have that hit home. Right. Yeah, it's the challenge point of, of that, that mental hurdle that he has to clear to be able to compete at the AAA and the major league level understanding how the pitcher is trying to get you out, mm-hmm. understanding your strengths, areas you need to be able to attack or look for. Um, and like understanding that mental side of the game. Um, and then that's something that we, we started developing once he kind of got his feet underneath him, like I said, and, and took a breath and stopped trying to be the number one prospect in baseball. Um, at 19, you know, like 
just relax and take a breath and let's step back and understand that how good you are, how good you can be and how we're going to get you there. Um, And a lot of that isn't the physical aspect. It's more about the mental side of the game and understanding, you know, trends and and how people, uh, how pitchers are attacking you and what they want to do and and how you're getting yourself out or they're trying to get you out. So, man, it it really is just a maturity thing and understanding like that is the next step. So, again, as I mentioned off the the top, I'd, I'd love to hear what your first impression is or was of Joey Weimer when you saw him in the box. It was the first time you saw. So I was fortunate enough. I my my first broadcasting gig was on the Cape. And so I got to see Joey on the Cape. So I had a familiarity. But at that point, he was putting everything on the ground when he was with Cincinnati. And you, know, you could see that the tools, they were insane. Yeah. But then I saw him again in, in the minor leagues. And I was like, whoa, this is a different operation here. Mm-hmm. Send the ball in the yeah. air and he's in the ball hard. But it was right. still a lot of the same moves. It was just mm-hmm. kind of how he was allowing himself to to kind of keep that weight back and, and have the lower half involved and uh, and create, again, leverage. But <laughs> I would just love to know what your first impression was of Joey Weimer and, well, and then, you know, like what, where, where you went from there, because again, the talent's off the charts, but it's one of the more unique ways you're ever going to see someone hit a baseball. Yeah. I will. You know, we had a lot of time on our hands in 2020 and he was uh, our fifth pick in the, the COVID year. So my first two videos of Joey were of him in the Cape Cod league with a mullet Mm-hmm. the hair down to almost mid back. And then that the leg kick that he had in the Cape Cod league, it was a hand hitch with a leg kick. So mm-hmm. the knee was above the waistline and the hands were below the waistline. And it was like, Whoa, but he led the country in exit velo that year. I think, I think it was like one fifteen or something like that. So you knew it was in there. Um, the thing that we weren't able to really see on video is like how big he was. So when you got to see him physically in person, you're you're like, oh, this guy is a specimen, and and he is. He, he he's a genetic freak. He's put together. Um, he walks into the room. He's got a presence. So the thing that I really started to notice about Joey the year that he he exploded onto the scene was his ability to hit the brakes, his, his deceleration patterns, checking off breaking balls. Um, his his awareness in space is probably the biggest thing that stood out to me is that he can get out there and he will jump out at the ball with the best of them, but he can hit the brakes and check off a pitch extremely quickly. Um, and so like that, that stood out to me right away. I was like, okay, he has the brakes. His body can handle that violent move. And then all of a sudden when he starts becoming better at picking spots or pitch recognition, recognition, excuse me, um, all of a sudden it's like, he really is special. Um, he was hitting the ball hard. And, and that year, you know, he, he just made a slight little adjustment where he, he kind of loaded more into the back leg mm-hmm. and, and stayed in his heel a little bit more, which limited the drift. It was still there, but it limited what it was before. And it just exploded. And he just, you know, he never looked back. And, and really, like, that was the only adjustment he made. He was challenged with his training. Um, he wasn't seeing a heavy dose of just regular underhand flips and, and overhand batting practice. Um, and he, he was challenged, and he just accepted that challenge. And like I said, it, it's the proprioception, his awareness in space, and his ability to decelerate and hit the brakes very quickly. Uh, that probably separates, separates him, you know, from, from <laughs> majority of our hitters, a, a lot of, you know, if not all of them. Well, and what I think we, you just hit on is so important, right? Because we're we're talking about how we're gonna we're gonna discuss South Freelick here in a second too, and it, it's like 
Yeah, of course you'd love to sit. I think a lot of people out there would see Joey Weimer, see what he's capable of doing and say, Oh, well, if we simplify everything here, uh, imagine how good he can be. But yeah, that's if he's a different person, right? That That's not Joey Weimer. So like, it, it's really fascinating to, and I think refreshing to see, you know, somebody say, okay, he does some of the things that we probably don't want, but he can hedge those things with this, this, and this. How do you kind of balance that equation? Because you mentioned the ability to shut it down. The athleticism is always going to allow you to get away with some extraneous moves. Mm -hmm. But at what point do you, you know, draw the line of, okay, this move is, is probably too counterproductive and you don't have enough to hedge it. Uh, You could say the results, but you know, you can't always go off results in the minor leagues. Mm -hmm. So yeah. How do you balance that? You know, one thing that I'm extremely proud of between, you know, the between the major league and the minor league levels is that we've really adopted the same UBU and, and, and we're fully committed to that. We have it up in our in our cages um, in Arizona. We have it up in, in Milwaukee. It's like UBU. And so, you know, the thing that we have to understand with people that are unique movers like that, you know, we have another unique mover, very similar to Joey, you know, in the minor leagues right now, his name is Luke Adams. He moves. Oh yeah. It's very similar, right? Very similar. You know, it's the crap out of the ball too. Yeah. They're, they're unicorns. And and the thing that we need to be recognized early and, and we've maintained is that if you take these moves away from Joey, we're not sure we can get them back because they are organic. Mm-hmm. You know, he's been doing it for so long. So we need to understand before we even attempt to have that conversation with Joey, it's like, how do we get it back? Um, and, and very similar to Keston Hira is that a lot of people talk about the fact that like he can't do that. We, we call it the motorcycle leg kick. It was a short little, you know, uh, bring back and then up. And it's like, they, they, they're like, he can't do that. And, He's tried to decrease and all of a sudden he started searching for three or four years and, and lost his mojo. So like you need to understand like the movements of the players and the athletes on what makes them special and what makes them good. Really pay attention to that and then understand like before we present something. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Thing to a player, we need to ask the question of, can we reproduce this move if what we're presenting doesn't work? Um, and, and the thing is, is I think it's more powerful for the athlete to be able to figure out the adjustments that they need to make. We, so we give them the supporting evidence. Um, and it's like, how can you, what do you think is the best way possible to do this, to make this adjustment? Um, Joey, to his credit, has been sending videos to Connor Dawson and on our major league staff. And there are some pretty impressive adjustments he's made, but it took Joey learning that, okay, maybe I can't do this at this level, even though I had success at the minor league level, I'm seeing the most spin out of any player in major league baseball. I'm not making the necessary adjustments. I, I am willing and I have the courage to make those adjustments. Um, and, and, and the adjustments that I have seen him make, the video that he has shown some of our hitting coaches, 
is, is really cool to see. And I think a lot of people are going to be impressed when he unveils it, if you will, you know, spring training. Um, but he is now willing and he understands that he has to make those adjustments. And I think that's more powerful than any coach walking up to players saying, you can't do that. Yes. So, um, you know, that's, that's sorry. That was very long winded. No, it's something awesome. I'm very passionate about. And I'm very, I'm very proud of our organization, our hitting department on the major league side and the minor league side is that, you know, we let players come in and be them. And, and, you know, we, we want that. And we think that's very, very important. And I think the key point, too, you talk about how he's very good at shutting it down on breaking balls and stuff like that. But when the breaking balls get better and better, you know, it's it's it just becomes harder and harder to shut it down. And, you know, if you do it 10 or 15 percent less, you know, frequently, that could be the difference between, you know, a staff yeah. that we saw in the minors and what we saw in the big leagues. But uh, talking about another unique kind of leg kick and setup is is Tyler Black uh, and Tyler mm-hmm. Black is unique because. He has that move. It's a big leg kick. He he really gets it at that back leg, but he controls it and times it so well. I think he starts it early and it just seems to work. And again, another really good athlete, which is the commonality for these guys that get away with these these moves. Right. But with Black, what stood out to me was you know, he's always had that move, but it was 2023 where he just taps into way more power. Where where did that come from? Because it was it was raw as well. Like we saw a 90th percentile exit velocity jump by four yeah. miles per hour. I know he was hurt. He had that that fractured scat mm-hmm. um, and dealt with some other issues. But it, what allowed Black to to tap into this power? Because we knew the bat to ball was always there. You knew the approach was always there. This guy never chases, and, and now he's impacting. You can really pallet that third base profile now. It's a really fun mm-hmm. player. Oh well, yeah, by the way, he stole 50 bags too. Like crazy. <laughs> It, it's it's i'll be honest with you it's a giant hat to to our strength and conditioning department um i talked a little bit about like i, I think the biggest thing in professional baseball and baseball in general and, and maybe life is just the opportunities that present themselves to you um unfortunately tyler got hurt you know he he had a freak shoulder injury uh broke his scap diving for a fly ball in the outfield when he was in you know with wisconsin in in low high excuse me high um he had a six week period where he was able to rehab and just get as strong as he possibly could. And our rehab team and our strength and conditioning department just absolutely made him into a monster physically. And then he went to the fall league that year. And I think he ended the year now, you know, it's a small sample size, but he ended the year, I think with a peak exit velo of 99 miles an hour. Didn't have that many at bats. Wasn't able to showcase what he could do. Some raw power would jump on some balls, but never really tapped into it. Rehabs in Arizona gets physically stronger, like not just upper body, but lower half, everything physically stronger, goes to the fall league. And we saw, I think, a four to five mile an hour spike in peak exabila. Again, smaller sample size, but there's signal there. And then he like not breaks his thumb, but rips apart his thumb and has to have thumb surgery following the fall league. Again, another opportunity to get in the weight room and use the strength and conditioning side to get stronger. Um, and, and so like, the reason I'm touching on that and it's so important is that it's not just like us and what we're doing on the hitting department. It's how are we collaboratively creating a holistic approach to hitting and the strength and conditioning side of things plays a major role in this. And we can see that with Tyler is that like the bat, the ball profile remained the same. The strike zone discipline remained the same. He got physically stronger and, and put forth a lot of really good focus in the weight room and came out better on the other side, just hammering baseballs. And so, um, I, I just, you know, it's a hat tip to that department, our high performance team, just making them better movers and stronger athletes. So when they do come back to us in general population, <laughs> there are bigger, stronger athletes that move the bat faster and impact the baseball. 
I, I love it. And, and again, let me know if you, if you got a, I probably should ask you if you had a hard out before we jumped in. Cause I'll, I, yeah. I might go all day. So I'll, yeah. I'll be reasonable with the time, but if, if, if cause I'll start like flying a bunch of different players mm-hmm. your way, because there's so many guys that are fascinating in the system, but just kind of rapid fire through a few more because one, one player particularly, I, I know that listeners of the podcast would, would want me to ask you about because actually two that I've been really excited about for a long time. And I think that we have been pushing a little bit more than maybe some of the other outlets over the last year and a half. Um, Luis Lara being one of them, you know, I think he's <laughs> one of the more underrated hitters in the entire minor leagues and you laughed. So I'm excited to see, you know, hear your thoughts here. Like, yes, he's, he doesn't have, you know, the biggest impact yet. He just turned 19 years old, but he's 18, mm-hmm. got the full season ball and hit well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's going to need to hit the ball a little bit harder. We'll see how, you know, how that comes along. But the biggest thing for me is this guy bat to ball wise is as good as it gets really at any mm-hmm. stop. It's mm-hmm. from both sides of the plate. He's already extremely patient and you can just see just from the games that I've been able to catch is the instincts are unbelievable. Like he just has a knack for playing the game. Um, and, and I think that's just going to allow him to be the next guy that climbs really quickly. What stands out the most to you with Luis Lara that maybe, you know, people might not know or that I might not know that I've mm-hmm. been talking about. Uh, and, and what do you think the Brewers may have here? Because obviously the, the, the things that you can't teach, he's got down pretty good already. Yeah. Um, the biggest thing, like when, when I started digging into the numbers, once he got out to the full season affiliates is that he's not afraid to hit the fastball. He, he velocity doesn't bother him. And, and I think we see that sometimes with, with younger you know, high school drafts or our younger Latin players is that velocity sometimes gives them problems. Um, he he likes to train velocity in practice. Um, he is he he encourages the challenge. He encourages the competition, and so like he is waiting for that. And so when you have a, a switch hitting nineteen year old that can put the barrel on the ball, but like wants to go hit velocity, um, that, that stood out the most. I was like, wow, look at this, and and so. Um, you know, the barrel stays on plane, you know, he, he, he's got incredible timing. Um, you know, the, the pitch selection is pretty decent for the most part and, you know, but the barrels in the zone a very long time and, and, and he's very confident in his ability. So like at 19, somebody who likes to be challenged is not afraid to be challenged, um, seeks out competition that can hit the fastball. Um, or yeah, we're, we'll take those all day long. I love it. And then the other guy is is a guy that I fell in love with in the Arizona Fall League, and that's Jefferson Caro. Um, it was really watching him go, you know, go about his business behind the dish and, and seeing yeah. what he could do there. But then you start seeing this guy impact the baseball and talk about another guy that's just scraping the surface of his power potential. I mean, there's there's a lot of juice in there. He was phenomenal through the first half. And again, another guy that was you know younger for the level and had to deal with the tack ball. So I thought it was pretty remarkable how good he was through the first half. Then he faded a little bit in the, in the back half, but it was also a long year at one level. Um, and as a catcher, I, I'd assume I don't have it in front of me, but I'd assume it was some of the most work he's ever gotten as well. Um, I'll start with the positive. What really impressed you this year with Caro uh, being that, you know, it's, it, you can respect the, the the gig, how much different it is for a catcher when you're getting an aggressive promotion. It's not just about the hitting and adjusting to those pitchers. you got to also learn how to handle a much more advanced staff. This guy's yeah. catching Jacob Mizorowski and some of these other really tough pitchers. Uh, you know, what stood out to you about Caro and, uh, you know, where do you think he stacks up against, you know, some of the other, you know, some of his peers at that position? You know, there, there was a two-week span this summer. I, I, again, I think it was in July, where I thought he was the best player in the Southern League, given his position. 
um, better than Jackson. And, and I told some people, I, I mean, the ground balls he, were, he was even hitting were 115, 109. Um, he just, being 20 years old, 21 at the time, playing catcher in the Southern League, in double-A, hammering baseballs. I, I was like, th- th- he's, the, he's the best player in the league right now. Um, and so he has that capability. He, if you've ever met him in person, his hands are enormous. He has giant, strong hands. It, it's like a grizzly bear. So, you know, he's got the physical tools that help aid in bat speed, help with the damage production. Um, it's just, you know, it's he's an aggressive hitter. So the chase percentage is something that we're always looking at. And it's like, okay, in order for him to be productive at the major league level, we're going to have to reduce the chase percentage. Uh, and and the, that, that's for the apprehension on our side. You know, I look at the things and it's like, okay, knowing how much better the pitching is going to be, is like he is a confident hitter. He believes in his abilities, but we just need to harness it in the right areas. Yeah. Um, but he just wants to showcase it. And, and if you don't know anything about Jackson, I mean, Jefferson Carroll, Google Jefferson Carroll Little League World Series. And it, there's a video of him hitting a homer. And just the passion you see is stunning and, and, and it's uplifting, but it tells you everything you need to know about Jefferson. Um, and, and that's how he plays to this day. It's like he plays with a lot of passion and a lot of confidence. He takes pride in his hitting. He takes pride in his catching. Um, but again, he's young. He believes he should get a hit every time. He, he believes anything that's around the plate, he should be swinging at. And so it's it just harnessing that focus to more of the middle of the plate and understanding like it's okay to take a walk when it presents itself. Yeah. Um, we need more of those when they do present themselves because you know, you're going to have fewer and fewer opportunities to, to impact the baseball over the plate because they're just not going to throw it there. So yeah, um, it's, get, it's, get, it's that mental side again, you know, very similar to Jackson. One of the most common phrases we'll, we'll say on here when there's guys that are hitting well and and chase a lot and would we'll acknowledge it as a red flag is always say like, if I'm in your position, Brenton, like exactly what you do. How do you convince those guys to swing less? How do I convince a guy that's hitting 320 <laughs> to swing less, right? Like, hey, you shouldn't keep swinging at yeah. the balls that you're hitting all the time. But to your point, to be able to make those adjustments to the upper levels, you're not going to get as many pitches to hit and you're going to need to take your walks to, to hedge, you know, any any sort of whiff risk and, and just in general, it's just you got to be able to walk to be successful. So I, a couple more names and then, you know, I want to wrap up with just general yeah. philosophy. Um, Sal Free, like I got to go into because he's one of my favorite people I've come across too. Joey's probably one of the funniest and like most authentic interviews mm-hmm. we've had on the show. Sal is authentic in almost a different way where it's just like yeah. you feel like you're just talking to another guy and mm-hmm. you don't realize that. I mean, this guy was an unbelievable athlete in, in high school yeah. playing football and basketball and and then, of course, being a first round pick in baseball but he just carries himself just like such a normal dude and, and i love the way he goes about it but with the way he plays his game is is very hard nosed it's kind of throwback to a degree of that leadoff scrappy player uh i guess the question with him is it wasn't totally the year that probably he would have wanted because it was a big test and again welcome to the big leagues it's you not many guys just instantly settle in there but he also battled some injuries he put up yeah. some ridiculous numbers in the upper minors also snuck with you know some more power than I think people would have expected. Where is Sal at now, and, and what do you think last year was for him in terms of the development and maybe learning some things that you know he could have got away with just off of being a freak athlete and just being better bat to ball than almost anyone? Um, and, and and where does he need to be now going into twenty twenty five or twenty twenty four to be a contributor for the Milwaukee Brewers? I, I mean, it, it's Sal's relentlessness in the box. You know, his 
his confidence in himself and, and his hitting ability is off the charts. Um, but also like that's the double edged sword. Like that could also be the downfall of style is that like I can reach any anything that I can reach, I'm gonna put the bat on. It's just not ideal. And, and so uh learning moments, key points to last year is patience. Like that would be the one word that I think about you know, for Sal, um, you know, patience with the injury, patience with not making the roster, seeing his buddies make the roster, you know, get called up to Milwaukee and not him. Um, he had to learn patience and understand that it just wasn't his time. Um, I, I don't think Sal was fully recovered from his injury. It's a, it was a pretty significant injury to his thumb, not like hindering his, you know, future. It was just, I just don't think that he was fully healthy. It's hard um, to play I, I think, that. yeah. And, and, you know, I, I think anytime that, you know, a hitter has a thumb injury, you know, like the impact, the vibration of the bat, um, holding the bat, like just the full strength isn't there yet. Uh, to his credit, he, he came back very quickly and battled through it and, and got to the big leagues. So I think we're going to see a much improved Sal Freelick because he is going to be healthy. Um, the, the biggest thing that I tell people all the time, the jump from the minor leagues to the big leagues, there's things in the minor leagues we cannot replicate. And some things we cannot replicate are 40,000 people in the stands. Things we cannot replicate are the, the, the media pulling at you in different directions. We, we just can't replicate that in the minor league stadium. Our, our national stadium holds 16,000 people. Like, you just you can't do that, no matter how much we try to prep players. So it's like you have to learn how to perform at the major league level. And that just comes with experience. So now that Sal has regular season at-bats under his belt, playoff appearance under his belt, now he's going to be able to understand how to navigate his day um, at the major league level and, and not just in the minor leagues. And so now that he has that experience, there's some familiarity with it. And I think it's like, OK, at one point I was batting fourth in the lineup and I can take a breath. I know I belong. Now, how, how do I maintain and stay here? Um, and, and, and that's a different, you know, that's a different mental hurdle. It's like, I know I belong. How do I stay? And so now he gets to go up there and have the opportunity to, to obviously make the team and, and contribute. And I think just that familiarity that he's built up with Milwaukee, the major league level, will, you know, come to fruition and obviously, you know, set him up for a lot of success this year. So Yafri Rodriguez is probably one of my favorite, you know, lower level prospects that we've got yeah. out here. Like I, I, I was fortunate to be able to, to get some a good amount of video. And, and I mean, just the swing is is really impressive. There's a reason why I got one point five million dollars. But the adjustability of the lower half, just how yeah. advanced he is already um, with that. It's strong with the lower mm -hmm. half and, and the way he's yeah. already able to incorporate that is really impressive. Uh, that's a guy that, of course, is like the low hanging fruit of names that are probably underrated in this system. I'd love to get some quick thoughts on, on Rodriguez from you, but you know, who are some other names in this Brewers system that you think, you know, deserve some more shine? Because I think the way that the Brewers have drafted recently too make it easy for some guys to fly under the radar where, you know, uh -huh. you, you go get a Cooper Pratt and then you go get yeah. a Batanti. And then you also, you know, have a Juan Baez only signed for $20,000, but can really right. swing it and make a lot of contact. And like, there's a lot of names that can kind of just like fly under the mm -hmm. radar. Who for you is is you know someone that you think deserves it could be it could be one of those guys but deserves some more shine and then I'd love your thoughts on Rodriguez and um you know if if you think I'm if I like validate me is basically what I'm asking because yeah. I was talking about him for like 20 minutes on the Brewers Top Prospect episode. <laughs> 
Well, you know, like we'll start with Yofri. You know, he he sticks out like a sore thumb because of the physicality you mentioned. You know, he, he's physically matured. Um, he, he's taller than most of our Latin players down at the complex. Um, he has the adjustability in the swing. Um, I, I've seen him have fastball timing and adjust to a breaking ball and hit a breaking ball out for a home run. Um, he's confident. Uh, he, he's very physical in the box. He, he he comes at you like he is re- when I say comes at you, like he comes at you with a tenacity in the box, like let's go. But he, does, he doesn't show much chase. So like he, he he's fairly disciplined for a young hitter, which is very exciting. So when you add when you pair together swing discipline and power, it's something to get very excited about. So, um, you know, we're, we're really excited to see what he can do, you know, this year, um, having experienced everything he did last year and, and just kind of, I don't want to say burst onto the scene because we, we kind of expected it, but I, just to get the notification that he is getting is like, we have another wave of talent coming at the, at the lower levels. Um, moving into the system, I, I think people that have the potential to touch our major league roster and impact our major league roster that are flying on the radar, uh, Wes Clark is one of those guys that had a really big year in Biloxi last year. Um, has that ability to make it be an impact bat, like, you know, DH off the bench, pinch hit, or, or play a little first base. Um, there is some defensive question marks, but not my area of expertise. Yeah. Uh, Ethan Murray is a guy at the upper levels that, like, we should keep an eye on. Um, it's very interesting, very intriguing with, with his offensive profile. Um I mean, Eric Brown Jr., you know, first rounder that we had was an Arizona Fall League All-Star this year. Really, uh, we saw a five-mile-an-hour spike in peak exit velo during the Fall League. So there's there's signal there. Really excited about that. Um, I mean, our draft, all five of the players that we drafted this year, Brock Wilkin, Mike Bovey, um, Cooper Pratt, Eric Batanti, and Josh Adam Chesky, very excited about the talent that that we brought in through the draft this year and what they can do in the box, what they showcase throughout the season and in instructional league. Uh, th- those five names are, are names to be on the look for. And then I mentioned them earlier. Watch out for Luke Adams. So Luke Adams. We'll I'm, call I'm that out. I mean, the, the exit velocities on Adams are, yeah. are crazy. But I, I'm glad you mentioned Eric Brown Jr. because you know he's a guy that I just think in general flies under the radar. He plays a better shortstop, mm-hmm. I think, than some people give him credit for. He can mm-hmm. run. Another guy, unfortunately, with a, a fractured scap with the way I think he got taken yeah. out at second base, just yeah. brutal and worked his way back and had a nice showing in the fall. We can talk about control. Uh, I mean, that move, and you talk about UBU, yeah, uh, yeah UBU <laughs> there, there with, with Eric. I mean, and, and the way that he's able to have that slow build, though, again, yeah. I, I think that's one of those examples where, you know, everyone's just trying to kind of get into that lower half and stay right. back and not have yeah. that power leak forward. And that seems to just be the stretch in the way that he's able to, to get there and yeah. stay there. And when you watch the swing, like he does stay there for the most part. Yeah. So it is really cool how you guys have that UBU and you can see it, though. You can really right. see it with the different players. I'll leave the last the last question I'd want to ask is is a kind of a two parter here, which is, you know, it, it, we've touched on it briefly. And I guess you could kind of say that it's it's nuanced. But, you know, what are the the key characteristics of of a hitter? And, you know, what, what that a successful hitter, I should say, and, and the things that you guys, you know, without, you know, opening the book and, and sharing all the secrets, you know, some of the things that you like to preach and look for, because, again, yes, there's a lot of different ways to to do it. But at the end of the day. You're trying to get to the same spot. You're trying to feel the same thing and you're trying to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to kind of hear what, how that's communicated and, and how that is approached with the Milwaukee Brewers organization. Uh, that's a, that's a loaded question right there. Um, personal philosophy from a, a technical standpoint, I, I think hitting is timing and space. All right. Um, can you show good timing 
and can you navigate space? And, you know, can you get yourself to a good launch position? Can you consistently get to your you know, launch position um, to get your swing off, to get your A swing off? Um, you know, like everybody gets there differently. It's just understanding that like at foot plant, majority of the big leaguers, they get to the same spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, I, you know, I, I really pay attention and we're talking technically to center mass. You know, you don't really see a whole lot of major league hitters drift and, and jump out at the baseball and, and be successful um, because the, the pitching is that good. And so, like, I'm not saying you have to minimize your movements. You just have to be more efficient with the way mm-hmm. you move. And that means controlling the center mass. You know, um, the tradition is called keeping your head still. You know, I, I look at it like, can you can you hit in, in, a, in a doorway or a phone booth? Like, can you keep your move within that that frame to maximize your bat speed, to maximize your movements? Um, that's from the technical standpoint. We try to get there, you know, but teaching it is different. I think that's where the autonomy with all of our staff comes into play. It's like we know what we're looking for. Let's now you get to use your experience and, and get them there. Um, statistically. People want to go to the damage components right away. You know, the thing, first things I turn to is like swing percentage and, and K percentage. You know, do we have a guy that is swing and miss? Do we have a guy that knows the strike zone? Um, I think that's why guys like Sal Freelick and, and Tyler Black stick out so much is that we know that we can build the engine. We, we know that we can build out the damage tool. Um, but if we have a guy that swings and miss, we, we a ton, like we, we can't it's just ineffective because he's just going to swing the bat faster and not make more contact. So um, I personally like to go to the, to the K percentage, the walk percentage, the chase percentage, and then the swing percentage and see what I have as a hitter. So what are the key components you think that contribute to the, to the, the higher whiff, um, you know, especially within the zone, you know, cause you, you can get quicker generally that that can help for guys. Cause a lot of times maybe it is timing that's resulting right. in more whiff. Um, but with some other players, is it, you know, it, it, there's a lot of different other ways it could, it could be, but you know, what is, I don't know. What do you think is like a key contributor to that? Because we talk about the lower half and, Drifting forward, yeah, that could cause you to have a, a blue zone at yeah. the top of the zone or could cause you to yeah. just be in and out of the zone too quick. But if everything else is is pretty good and you see that higher end zone whiff, is there something in particular you think that contributes to that? I mean, every everybody's, you know, their own person. It, it, it's so individualized. It, it, it could be anything. It, it could be from um, bat path, mm-hmm. how, how quick they are in and out of the zone how much length or lack of length they have within the zone. Um, it, it could be a timing. They, they could just have terrible timing, deeper contact points, not catching out front. Um, they, I mean, boils down to poor pitch selection. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. are you in a good spot to make a decision? We talk about that all the time. It's like, are you getting yourself into a spot to make a good decision? Um, so it's, it's, you know, guys are starting late and, and trying to like show them examples, whether that be video or other players, like when players are starting and understanding, like you have to start on time. So yeah. it goes back to timing and space. Um, it can mean a multitude of things. Um, there's just so many things that, especially with the young hitters, things are happening so fast for them. And there's so many things being thrown at them. It's like, you know, when we train and when we game prep, you know, we want, we want to keep that as external as possible. Um, because, you know, young hitters have a tendency to forget very quickly that there's a ball being thrown at them and they're worried about their hands and then their load and their foot plan. And how do I look? It's like, do you remember that there's a ball being thrown at you? So are we preparing for that? You know? And so, 
um, they forget that very quickly. So we have to talk about timing. Like, what are you thinking about here? Um, you know, I'm thinking about my hands. Do you realize that he has released the baseball and you're not even in your load yet? So it goes back to the timing, but you know, bringing awareness to the situation and understanding like when to start, when to get ready. And, and that is purely subjective, but like we can see on video and we see, you know, statistically like high width, high punch, high chase. All of a sudden, well, why are you chasing a lot? You're starting super late. Can yeah. we work towards starting earlier? So it's, a lot of things go into it. You just you just got to be in tune with the athlete and, and what's going on from the day to day. That's the one thing we always we always talk about on here, too, is that, you know, yes, if it's a loud move that generally people always say already put a, a yellow flag up there. Right. But if you start that louder move earlier, you know, you, you have a lot better chance of being able to consistently be on time and consistently repeat that. And I think there's a lot of examples of that within the Brewers organization. Um, my closing question is, if you had to go up and face Jacob Mizrowski, how are you planning to uh, uh, prepare for that? <laughs> don't miss the fastball yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. you know like i mean it's it's, it's, it's a hundred plus and then you know it's just a wipeout slider and it's like i you know what i'm, I'm gonna get them early i'm, I'm gonna take a shot early and it's because if i wait around it, it's it's not good. So but even if you're ready for the fastball, it's from like a five yeah. something release height, yeah. seven feet of extension. It's a hundred miles an hour. <laughs> There's nothing you can do. You know, it, it's like the, what was it? The all-star game where uh, John Cruck bat, you know, mm -hmm. the, the batting helmet. Randy on Johnson, yeah. and Randy Johnson. It, it's kind of like one of those, like, yeah, let's get this over with. <laughs> I was, I was tuned into one of the Pensacola Buahu's games. Cause it, my buddy playing against uh, Mizorowski. And then I think Abner Uribe came in relief. And I was just like, yeah, that's worse than what you're going to see in the big leagues yeah. sometimes. Like, yeah. And it just shows Demon you the talent Seager. that we have in the yeah. upper minors. It's unbelievable. But yeah. I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to come on. And, you know, hopefully we can circle back and, and have you on sometime again, because yeah. I, I'm telling you, this is I'm not just saying this because you're on now. Like, this is one of my favorite conversations we've had because it's just an opportunity to you know, run it by someone that's actually doing it and living it. All the things that we've been talking about to, with our audience, you know, discussing specifically with the Brewers prospects really recently. So thank you so much for your insight, but also being able to communicate it in such a, you know, an easy and digestible way. And then also just sharing your, your awesome story and path. It's easy to understand why you are where you are now. I oh, appreciate that. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Brenton as much as I did. It was an absolute blast to be able to learn and just pick his brain. Suffices to say that he has an open invite to the show whenever, and uh, hopefully we'll get him on again at some point during the season. I, I know I had mentioned earlier this week that we'd have Orioles top prospects ready, uh, but of course, priority here with this interview with Brenton also gave me a little bit more time to write up what is the best system in, in all of baseball. So that Orioles farm system breakdown will be live on Monday, probably sometime midday Monday. We will have that episode out and as well as the top prospects article that you can look out for on JustBaseball.com. If you can take a second to leave a rating, help us grow the show, subscribe on YouTube, would really appreciate it. I'm very, very excited about some of the things that we have in the works uh, for specifically the call-up and, and ways that we're going to continue to grow the social reach and, and continue to grow the show. So really appreciate any way that you can help us there. As always, thank you for listening. Have a fantastic weekend, and I look forward to talking Orioles prospects with you on Monday. What's 
special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.